nurses and hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Curanderismo is the art of Mexican folk healing, which comes from the word curar, meaning to heal in Spanish. It's a holistic approach to healing, which covers mind, body, and spirit. And when you go to a modern healthcare provider in like a hospital or a clinic, you don't always get the mind, body, spirit looked at. In this episode, Dr. Eliseo Cheo Torres joins us to talk about curanderismo and the Dia de los Muertos holiday, which is the Day of the Dead. Cheo also shares great tips on helping children and teenagers deal with anxiety and depression by using Guatemalan worry dolls. Since he was a boy growing up on the border of Mexico and Texas, Eliseo Torres, known to everyone as Cheo, has been fascinated by the folk traditions and folkways of Mexico and his Mexican-American roots. Both of his parents were well-versed in aspects of herbal lore and healing. And as he matured, he learned from them a love and respect for the history and folk knowledge of the ancient heart of curanderismo, or Mexican folk healing. He has published seven books on his life and on his research in the subject area of curanderismo. This is a super fun episode, and I loved talking to Cheo. I learned so much, and I'm actually going to be practicing a lot of the stuff in my practice. This episode, you won't want to miss. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be it's here. Okay. <laughs> no worries. Cheo, thank you for being here. I was just talking to you um, before and how excited I am to have you on uh, to kick off our Dia de los Muertos series mm-hmm. here on Nurses and Hypochondriacs. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You are uh, a professor at the University of New Mexico. I am. I, I'm an administrator. Well, I was an administrator and I just retired recently, two or three weeks ago. Congrats. And, uh, and a professor. I continue teaching my classes, three credit classes, curanderismo classes in the fall, the spring, and the summer. And then I also offer a free Coursera courses, four of them, uh, online. Uh, so, um, and I've been at New Mexico since 1995. That's amazing. So, how did you get into uh, curanderismo and also teaching at at the University of sure. New Mexico, which I think is amazing. Well, thank you. Well, um, I grew up with a lot of the rituals and medicinal plants, and my mother was not a curandera, but she should have been one. There were six in our family, and wow. we lo- lived in a rural area, and she used to tell us, don't you dare get sick, and if you do, I'll be your doctor, and she was. Kept us healthy, uh, but she could not uh, tell me really why she did the thing she did. She said, well, I learned this from your grandmother and she from your great grandmother until I was in college. And I, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Stanley Bittinger, a sociologist, um, took us on trips to Mexico. 
uh, all over Mexico. I, you know, I, I was with him for 20 years, uh, traveling all over, all the way to Guatemala by car. Well, that was when Mexico was safe to travel by car. And on one of our trips, he said, I, we can't really go very far into Mexico. We're going to go to a curandero festival. Wow. I said, what? He said, yes. Um, it'll be a couple of hours from the border, um, from the Texas border. And it says it's um, a Fidencista festival in the town of uh, um, Espinazo, close to Monterey, Mexico. So we went, a group of students and uh, um, some faculty by car, and we got to this village uh, out in nowhere uh, called Espinazo. Espinazo is the name of a backbone of an animal. And then there's a range of mountains that looks like a backbone of an animal. And that's where the town is at. It's a village where the famous Nino Fidencio lived, who died in 1938. And they've had a festival, two festivals a year, one in October, one in March. And I believe one of them is when he was born and the other one when he died, similar to Christmas and Easter. Uh, so they've, people have, have made a folk saint out of Nino Fidencio. He's not a canonized saint, but he's a saint of the people. Right. He's so, a Santo Nino, right? Well, is it the same? No, it's different. They call him Nino Fidencio out of endearment, but the, the man who was in his 30s is still called Nino Fidencio. And he's not well known in most areas in the U.S., um, but in Mexico, he's well known. He's a curandero of curanderos. And, and I write about him in, in my publications. I, I study three curanderos. They call them the three great ones. Nino Fidencio, Teresita, and Don Pedrito Jaramillo, uh, two of them died in the early 1900s. Uh, that's Don Pedrito and Teresita, and Nino Fidencio's youngest died in 1938. But they have fe- celebrated his, his this festival for since the 1938 30s when he died, and uh, in this town. And so there's thousands of curanderos. They don't even call themselves curanderos. They call themselves materias, mediums, or wow, cajitas, boxes. So we get to this place, there's no motel, so we camp outside of the village, and the festival goes on 24-7, 24 hours, well, actually for three days, and, but it's, it's, it's wild. It's, you remember the Twilight Zone TV yeah. series? This is like yeah, a Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone. It's like, wow, I mean, it, I have never seen anything like this. People on their knees, people going to uh, on pilgrimages, uh, there's dances, there's auctions, there's, I mean, there's, there's things everywhere. It's, it's mind boggling, but we, we spend the night. I met one of my colleagues from a neighboring university. I was at the university at the time and his name was Leo Carrillo and Dr. Carrillo said, I I have a mentor. His name is Chenchito and I want you to meet him. He was also studying curanderismo like I was. I met Chenchito, wonderful wonder. He must've been in his sixties at the time. And we hit it off. Um, we we talked a lot, and he said, "I want you to be my apprentice." And I said, "I can't. I live in Texas, and you live in Mexico." He said, "Well, whenever you come here, I want you to be my assistant." So I was his assistant, and I invited him to join me in Texas and stay with my family, and and that lasted for twenty years. Wow. Uh, about three years ago, he called me. I thought he was dead. That somebody told me he had died, but he wasn't. 
Uh, he called me and said, I've been dreaming about you. I hear you live in New Mexico. I want to come see you. I said, fine, come see me. I said, why don't you come in July when I teach my summer class, face-to-face class. It's a two-week intensive class. And you can speak to the students. So we came, somebody went to pick them up in Mexico by in the truck and they brought them to my class. And he was a hit. He was already close to 90. Wow. Well, two years ago, he passed away at the age of 90. And, but he was a wonderful man. But the way the reason I talk about Chanchito is he taught me the things that my mother couldn't tell me. He I knew love the it. history of curanderismo. And he taught me so much. And I got so excited. I started teaching classes. Actually, I started in Texas and teaching some classes at Texas A&M University, Kingsville. At the time, it was Texas A&I University. I moved to New Mexico in 1995. I started working in 1996. And soon after that, I started teaching the classes. Um, and I've been teaching classes for more than 20 years. Uh, uh, I, I teach two online classes in, in fall and the spring. And then I teach a face-to-face class in July. It's a two-week intensive class. I usually draw several people from all over the country. And uh, we have a lot of hands-on activities. We have uh, traditional health fairs one or two in the community, and we have hundreds of people that come to these health fairs. So it's been a lot of fun. I've written about seven publications on the topic and um, offer some free um, classes through Coursera. It's a different platform that works with the university. And, you know, I have thousands of people all over the world that take these classes. And now we're starting some new classes in Spanish beginning in December. Yeah. So it's been fun, and I work with a, a school in, of curanderismo in Cuernavaca, Morelos, Mexico, called CEDEC, Centro de Desarrollo Hacia la Comunidad. It's one of the best schools of traditional medicine anywhere, and um, it's a certificate program. It's it served hundreds of curanderos, not only from Mexico, but from Central and South America and Europe. And I got my degree in that school, CEDEC. My good friend, Dr. Arturo Ornelas, is the director of the school. He's the president of the school. And he, he, he used to bring 30 or 40 curanderos to my classes. I can't afford to bring them anymore, but I bring three or four or five healers yeah. from Mexico. I've had healers from Africa, from Uganda, from Gabon. I've had them from Cuba, from Puerto Rico, from Ecuador, uh, from El Salvador, from Guatemala. Um, from Peru. In fact, I was in Peru a couple of weeks ago. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So uh, I teach a class called Perspectives, Global Perspectives of Traditional Medicine, where I bring different cultures. And um, there's a lot of similarities on um, on the on curanderismo and, and, and the rituals and the plants that they use. Right, so, right. With shamanism. I had a, I went to Peru in 2004 when I was going to UCLA and it was, we went on a not a medical mission, but we went to go learn medical Spanish. And so we toured many of the hospitals, but that's where I had one of my awakenings uh, yeah, when I yeah. went to uh, Machu Picchu. Yes, I, uh, I was in Machu Picchu, yes. It's very, very, the energy is intense yeah. there. Oh, it's, uh, it's, I totally had a Shirley MacLaine moment. <laughs> yeah, well, that was on my bucket list and I, my son and I went and, uh, and we, we, we flew to Lima and then, and then to Cusco and we stayed in yes. Cusco for a week. And uh, went to the Sacred Valley, to yeah. Machu Picchu, and several yeah, other places. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's but uh, that's what I've been doing. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I, since I retired uh, about three, four weeks ago, I, I continue teaching my classes. That's excellent. So, so what is curanderismo? 
tell well, us cura- in your own words. And <laughs> I define curanderismo as, as traditional medicine. Um, comes from the word curar, which means to heal. And it's a holistic approach to healing mind, body, and spirit. Um, if you go to a physician, they really will work mostly on your body. You go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, they work on your mind, rarely on your spirit, but curanderismo is able to incorporate those three elements, body, mind, and spirit. So it's a holistic approach to healing. And in earlier years, you know, there were very few physicians, very few ministers, priests, no counselors. So people relied on the curanderos back then. Things have changed, but still it's alive and well. And there's a revival of uh, curanderismo. Yeah, I can see it coming even uh, with shamanism. So the curanderos were the healers of the town uh, that people would go to, correct? Kind of like shamans are are like the healers of the... um, the how can I say of the people of the Indians mm-hmm. of the Indios uh, like in Peru uh, the little uh, I don't know communes or <laughs> well they they, the, they, the, they were the healers and the counselors and um, that's where people went to and they were trained by an as an apprentice or the people say that some of them had had a don a gift to heal yes but the reality is that. You're not born with that with with that gift. You you got to train, so they train as an apprentice under another curandero. But nowadays there's schools, excellent schools like Sedec, the school that I just mentioned, where you you train on making medicine and and really quality control. Uh, they do research, and so I'm, I'm very pleased with how it's improved throughout the years. In earlier years, remember it's the word of mouth. It's you know, and sometimes that gets distorted, that information. But now there's books, there's research. Um, right, so, there's the internet. There's the internet, that's right. In fact, the curanderos, some of them come up with their computers. And and the ones I work with, some of, some of them take your blood pressure. They may refer you to a physician if you're it. really, really sick. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. The way I learned about curanderos was when I started practicing as a pediatric nurse practitioner. My first job uh, was in La Puente, California, and I had mostly 99% of my patients only spoke Spanish, uh, and it was a lot of... um, Mexico, uh, people from Mexico. I also had lots of people from Central America, <laughs> some people from South America, but mostly Central America and Mexico. That was my patient population. And so what I found was, um, because this was pre Obamacare, which is very interesting. I had lots of patients coming to me with amulets on their, mm-hmm. um, hands, the red little bracelets, they would put the red little bracelets on the babies, they would put other things on the babies. Sometimes they would come with um, things that they were anointing. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. they would tell me I would, Mm -hmm. I would ask them like, who who put this or who told you to do this? And they would say the curandera. I went to the curandera. And at that time, I got that a lot. Um, Especially even when I was in school, I was doing clinicals in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, and I would get people coming in saying, oh, yes, I bathed my baby in tomato sauce or tomato 
juice some because they had a fever and they would still come with mm-hmm. like a smelling of tomato and with like they hadn't washed the baby mm-hmm. after putting them in tomato stuff and so all these little uh folklore uh, traditions that they were using that the coranderos had told them to do. So I started to explore that because I thought it was very, very interesting. And I wanted to understand my patient population much better and, uh, you know, who they were going to in the community. So one of my friends, and at the time I was dating someone who I really didn't understand um, what he wanted. Uh, he really loved me, but I didn't love him. So I was, mm-hmm. I had a lot of soul confusion, <laughs> I guess you would, could say there. So she said, she's like, oh, you have to go to my curandera. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay, you know, I was open to it. She took me to a place in Rampart and, um, and this woman, and there was a lot, and I hear so many stories of this, of people going to Coranderas in Los Angeles, and they all kind of start the same way. You go up this long uh, driveway and there's chairs outside of the driveway with people waiting to go inside. So you wait until it's your turn mm-hmm. and you go in and you, you see the Curandera and, you know, and sometimes this one red cards, um, and, uh, and so, uh, she also did a limpia on me with the egg type thing. And she got this big bush <laughs> and there was some sprays of stuff. It, it was all very, very interesting. Uh, and then I started going to a lot of the botanicas, which, uh, were very interesting as well. And to see what they, they gave, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so of course there was a little bit of black magic going on there sometimes too, which was interesting. So I found it all very, very fascinating. And, um, and I also have studied, uh, a lot of, um, shamanic practices as well, uh, which I have incorporated into my own, uh, healing work and in storytelling and the storytelling courses that I teach. And then I came across in 2018 because this journey just kind of goes on and it keeps going and you keep learning and things just come to you. And I met one of your students, um, Erica Beneflor, and I attended one of her readings for her book and, and she did a whole, um, uh, she showcased, you know, what curanderismo is, and she mm-hmm. did a healing for someone, which was very interesting. Uh, and, and that's, uh, you know, and I, I learned some more. I got her book. And what I really loved about her book and what I incorporate, you know, and I even incorporate this in clinic, which I think is great, are the plácticas, which mm-hmm. is the open, non-judgmental healing. So, um, and I just wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, the different types of modalities. And you had said, which, which is so interesting is the soul work, how nobody pays attention to the soul. And so tell us more about that and how that works with curanderismo. Well, you mentioned Olympia. Olympias are quite popular in the class. And we, um, uh, we have several types of Olympias uh, in, in our classes, uh, especially the online classes. Uh, that you can find in Coursera or you can find at the university for the credit courses. Um, one of the, the curanderos uh, that does a fantastic limpia is Laurencio Nunez from Oaxaca. And he comes uh, just about every summer. He uses five elements for the limpia. He says, we cleans our, uh, our home, our car, but we never cleans our spirit, even our, our body. 
with soap, but but not our spirit. He said, our spirit gets damaged. There's um, there's synergy around us that um, that has been proven about eight inches all around our body that gets damaged when we have a traumatic experience. There's a burglary or, or, or a fire, whatever traumatic experience um, you're suffering, uh, your 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 energy gets damaged, and we we want to smooth that energy. This is what Laurentius says. So he starts his limpia with um, uh, uh, plants, not any plant, but certain plants like uh, rosemary, romero, uh, ruda, rue, albacar, basil. And he sweeps your body from head to toe, sweeping away any negative vibrations that you might have as, as, a, um, as a problem with the traumatic experience you had. And, uh, and he calls your spirit to come back to your body. He may uh, slap you lightly with the, with the branches and call your, your, your name and your spirit. The, the idea is that you, you, your spirit or your soul has left your body when you right. have this traumatic experience and he's bringing it back to your body. Right. After There's that, like a soul loss. A, yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, sometimes they call it soul retrieval. You're bringing right. you're giving your soul back. And then he uses an egg uh, and he, bro- he, he rubs your egg all over your body in prayer. And, and, and then he will break the egg in a glass of water. He might, he might or may not diagnose the egg. Mm-hmm. After the egg, uh, he uses copal and he does a smudging with copal. Copal is an incense, comes from the copal tree. Mm-hmm. He burns, it's like a rock and he burns that uh, using a, Poposhkomi or Saumerio or Copal burner. And he'll go around your body with the smoke of Copal. After that, uh, he will use uh, mezcal. He'll spray mezcal on you or water or Florida water. It yeah, just depends Agua de Florida. On, yeah. yeah, that's where I learned about Agua yeah. de Florida was from yeah. Um, Erica. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, and then he'll give you a candle and he'll say, take this candle and burn it tonight. And any remaining negative vibrations your body may have will be burned. And and he'll tell you other things that you may have to do. Uh, and that's it. That's a that's a very comprehensive limpia. Most people, most curanderos don't do all of those elements. They'll use maybe just plants or an egg or, or plants and, and copal. Uh, copal, uh, you can buy different types of copal, black copal or brown copal or white copal. The best one I understand is white copal. Huh. And there's a copal burner called Poposcomi Nawal or Saumerio. Usually they're black in color, but in, in Oaxaca, they're brown. It just depends on where you're at. Okay. So that's your limpia. And then your platica, um, a friend of mine who passed away a few years back, uh, Elena Avila, uh, was an expert at, at, at platicas. And it's a, she would say it's heart-to-heart talk. Yes. So you can find out a lot about a person in the platica. And yes. uh, I see the curanderas, many curanderas I work with will do a massage, a traditional massage, and they're talking to you while they're massaging. And yeah. they're, they're really checking your body to see if there's anything abnormal in your body. My masseuse and, used to do that. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, uh, and they'll find out if your problem is psychological or whether it's physical. And they may refer you somewhere. They may deal with the problem after, after that talk. 
while they're massaging, they're checking you out. So it's it's wonderful technique, and they'll spend 30, 40 minutes. Sometimes I've seen people stay overnight in Curandero's home. Uh, so they don't spend 10, 15 minutes with you. I mean, they'll they'll spend enough time to find out what really is 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 the problem with you. Right, so. right. I um, it's interesting. I started doing it with someone who I was dating because there were a lot of things going on um, that were strange. And we were having a lot of paranormal stuff, like, um, just telepathic conversations between us. Right. And I knew I wasn't going crazy. So I asked him one day, uh, over the phone, I go, do you want to do this plactica with me? And he said, yes. So we opened it up and I was burning the incense that, um, Erica wrote about, and it was amazing. It was just an amazing healing. We had about three set, two sessions, of platicas. And then we did a whole um, journey together, uh, a a more shamanic tradition, but um, it was pretty intense and amazing. And I learned quite a bit about what was going on. And he was um, unfortunately, like many men in our um, society today, very, very shut down. You know, like his heart chakras were shut. It just makes me a little bit emotional, even still talking about it. But um, yeah, so, but it was, it was very powerful. And now I use it in my clinical practice because I'm having, um, and I've spoken about this uh, in other episodes, um, you know, there's a lot of depression going on in our teenage population. A lot of uh, children, you know, teens wanting to kill themselves and having suicidal Mm -hmm. ideation, unfortunately. Um, And and one of the main places that they go and get their healthcare information is from TikTok, which is now causing people. Yeah. To, it's now causing people to have uh, ticks. <laughs> I just read a, a Wall Street Journal article the other day where young teenage girls who are watching um, TikTok videos of other females who are having ticks, they have Tourette's. They are now getting Tourette's, which is very interesting. It's like their brains are being programmed, you know, to have this condition as well. Uh, And and it's like a a mass hypnosis going on and a mass programming into the subconscious mind, which is, is, again, it is a soul loss. I went ahead and and sent that information to uh, the director of psychiatry at Stanford, who also uh, does a lot of research into hypnosis and he's uh, a pediatric person, uh, a pediatric uh, psychiatrist. Uh, so, and he had said is yes, it, it is kind of like a soul loss, like you're saying, because these young girls are, are finding something in themselves that they're missing and they're trying to connect with this person. And so then what is happening because they've been obsessively watching these videos, TikTok will keep sending these, you know, out to them, uh, and, and lure them into watching this and stuff. So, so it it is very, very interesting, uh, aspect, but, um, in my clinical practice, what I've been doing with parents, because I think a lot of times too, the other thing going on with teens is their parents are not letting them express their identity, you know, they're not letting them be who they are. It's like, we have to put a label on everything now. And, and from the ages of about 10 to about 17 is very pivotal for a a young teenager to, uh, 
find themselves and who they are in the world and, and kind of uh, express have that expression. So what I do in clinical practice is I bring, you know, if I have time, because sometimes this is the other thing is we only have 15 minutes to see these types of cases. Uh, sometimes I get it uh, about 45 minutes to an hour and we're able to talk with no judgment um, and stuff. And, and it really does help. And it is a lot of storytelling and a lot of sharing. And I can go back into what the parents have, have um, experienced when they were teenagers, because what they are doing now is almost they are creating a type of soul loss in their teens you know, and, and their children, they don't really realize it because of what happened to them uh, when they were uh, at that age. So it is, it is very interesting. And it's helped me, you know, and I'm still kind of working it through and experimenting with it. But I also use it in my storytelling classes, where we open up with talking about your name, you know, it's like, tell a story about your name. So that is the first homework assignment that I give. And, and I teach the classes through the Amherst method, which is a no judgment class. So there is only positive feedback, what we liked and remembered about your story. And so it's amazing what comes through, you know, people finally feel free to express themselves. So yes. I, I love that part. And I'm, like I said, I'm still trying to see how it works in the um, clinical setting uh, and trying to incorporate that. But how can nurse practitioners and healthcare providers use curanderismo in their clinical practice. Like you said, you have people from all over coming in because, sure. um, you know, and I'm, like I said, I, I take pieces of it and try to really incorporate it. And I slowly, slowly introduce it to my patients. Some mm -hmm. people are very open to it and some people are not. Uh, I mean, especially with the um, going back, because right now healthcare literacy is a huge thing you know, because a lot of our patients don't know what to do anymore. And, mm -hmm. and it, which is interesting to me because even uh, pa patients with family members who have come from Mexico or Central America, I mean, they have these traditions and I'm like, did they lose them or do they not feel that they are important? Because I grew up in an Italian family and we never went to the doctor. My parents took care of everything. And, and there was a lot of uh, folk traditions that they had used that they learned, you know, True. from their childhood that they would go ahead and incorporate. Like if you cut yourself, they'd get some wine and stick it, you know, on your lip and you'd suck it. Or if you had an earache, they would use garlic or an olive oil. Um, so there were various methods like that, which are very simple, you know. Um, but I think nowadays they've trained so many people like it's Tylenol and Motrin and um, you know and, and you have to have an antibiotic which so many studies are coming out now how um, antibiotics given very at a young age are now creating uh, a lot of uh, brain issues or uh, they've done MRIs on children and they've seen um, just changes in the brain because of that so go ahead and tell us how we could incorporate. Well, well, um, I think what, what you just uh, described is exactly what I would recommend that you incorporate it according to the needs of the patient. Um, some of them will accept it. Some of them won't. Uh, I, what I would, uh, what I envision is um, bringing together traditional medicine and allopathic modern medicine and, and meeting the needs of the, of the patient. Some of them will be open. Some of them will not. But 
we, we should look at other models that have incorporated traditional medicine with modern medicine, like Chinese medicine. Yes. Uh, Ayurvedic medicine from India. That Those two medicines are pretty much accepted around the world. Mexican traditional medicine isn't yet. And I think what we need to do is to um, talk about it more, study it more, research it more. Uh, I find out that in Mexican traditional medicine, they use simple things to deal with serious problems mm-hmm. and they work. And many people are not insured and they can't really go to a physician because they can't afford it. Uh, so what they what do they do? They wait until they're really sick and they wind up in emergency rooms right. that are overcrowded and understaffed. And, you know, it's just doesn't seem to be working. I mean, our our medicine is is out of reach of a lot of people that can't afford it. But if we empower parents to to deal with simple illnesses and know when to refer or when to go to a physician, that might even work out best. And uh, it's, it's a model that I'm hoping eventually we can create. And I... Talking, I'm talking to our medical school here at the University yeah. of New Mexico, and they created a, a center called the um, Center for Life, and where they where they do practice a lot of the traditional medicine, and they bring Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine into this center, and it's part of the hospital system, the health science system. Arizona, University of Arizona, with Dr. Andrew Wild has created a, an integrated medicine program that's excellent. I love that. But I think it needs to be incorporated nationally. And I, yeah. I, I hope we get there. It's well, going to take a while, but we need more clinical studies. We need more research. And we right. and, and I, I, in Mexico, there's a series of colleges and universities called Interculturales. They're really tribal colleges supported by the government. It's like 20 of them throughout the country. And the one at South of Mexico, next to Mexico City, has already done that. They've incorporated traditional and modern medicine together. I want to go to this school and find out how they've done that. Yeah. And how we can learn from them. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Traditionally, for so many years, um, modern medicine, like medical school, they're just very pharmaceutical based, you know, it's like, um, it's problem treatment, you know, and and that's it. And because you only see a patient for 10 to 15 minutes, it's really hard to assess them. Like you have to really develop your intuition. I used to see so many, like sometimes when I worked in La Puente, I were, I would see 60 patients in a day. Uh, And that was before Obamacare. So my intuition had to be really, really good. And I mean, there was a purpose for that because I, I could see a child walking in and I knew what was going on with them, you know, and I really, really worked to hone in on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when they came in to, uh, teach that, but even the patients, like I said, were so accustomed already. I just want Motrin and Tylenol and that's it. Even yeah. if the kid wasn't sick, you know, and because the medic Medicare just pays for it, you know, Medicare, Medicare, um, and, uh, because because many children were dying of seizures and, and not getting, um, the proper care. If that's true, I'm not exactly sure. Um, you know, because a a lot of the times, like, was that really true or was that just to sell a medication? I mean, myself personally for my parents, because I started studying more holistic medicine and more 
herbal medicine, it's like they know my dad is 87 years old. You know, he knows if he has a cough, he doesn't want to take medication because it damages his kidneys. So what does he do? Ginger tea. Many, many years now. Like I think I've I've got them on that ginger tea stuff for forever. And literally he'll drink ginger tea for a day with honey. Boom. The next day he's fine. And he doesn't even get sick. (laughs) He has not been sick in, I don't know how long, you know, and he told me that he goes, you know, um, ever since, and, but, but it's because as soon as something comes up, he knows his body and he he will treat it, you know, and he will even, You know, if he eats something raw that is giving him stomach upset, he'll immediately go and take a probiotic or he'll go and he knows what herbs to do and where, you know, and 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 then he's fine. (laughs) Like, so, and I think it's really teaching people that and and it's just incorporating it into your daily practice uh, of what you do, you know, instead of running to the doctor every five minutes. Um, and I was like, where did this go wrong? Because I don't remember that really happening before, you know, it's like, we've gotten, um, the, so many people so addicted to the healthcare system instead of just with this whole healthcare literacy, which is a big problem now. Yeah. Uh, But you're exactly correct. I I think that we need to empower people to take control of their body and, 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 and not run to a physician or a hospital for any little illness. Um, you know, nowadays, modern medicine is wonderful for serious illnesses, but a right. lot of people are not really that sick. They can, they can take care of their body and know when they really need medical attention and um, incorporate both of them. And in third world countries, I mean, you know, they, they do what your dad does. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they see a physician when they're really sick and when they need medical attention and not, not have to pop pills for just about everything that's wrong with them. Right. But who knows? Maybe, maybe we can come up with a, with a, with a model that would meet the needs of, uh, of the people. And look at the number of immigrants that come to this country. There's millions of them uh, that don't have insurance. And, right. you know, what do they do? And, and they're bringing a lot of their traditions, but when they come here, they find out that we don't have those traditions. Right, right. And I think they abandoned them, which is very sad. And so that's where the disconnect is happening. You know, they're, they're no longer, because I think either they're trying to get Americanized or um, I, I don't know what that is, but that would be interesting to explore and for anybody out there who's wanting to do like a study for their doctorate, that would be a good study to yeah, see like yeah. what is we, happening. We, we need more studies. We need to, more research. We need to prove that some of the things do are valid that we do. And um, I'm just amazed at, at, at how people are able to, to cope with different illnesses. Um, uh, it's just incredible. In Guatemala, they use those little trouble dolls uh, for problems and it yeah. works with kids. The worry uh, dolls. Does the it worry really dolls. Talk, I mean, talk a little bit more about that. Well, I'll tell you my experience with them. Um, several years ago, I was in in what in, um, in Chiapas, which borders Guatemala, mm-hmm. uh, and San Cristóbal de las Casas in Chiapas, and I went into the store, and uh, there was this tiny lady Mayan, and she spoke a little bit of Spanish and a little bit of English, and and she had these little boxes with six dolls. 
And, uh, and I said, what are those? Those voodoo? She said, no, those are not voodoo dolls. Those are trouble dolls. She said, for example, <laughs> I have 11, 11 kids at home. I said, what? And she said, yep, 11 wow. kids. I work all day here. My husband goes back and forth to Guatemala. At the end of the day, I go home and these kids have problems. They want to talk to me. I don't have time. I have to cook for them. So I give them a box with these dolls at night. They take out these dolls, one doll for every problem. They talk to the dolls about their problems. The, the idea is that the dolls carry the problems on their back. In the morning, the kids wake up, rid of six problems. Uh, and I said, well, I have a couple of teenagers. You got anything for teenagers? She said, yeah. The teenagers get seven dolls and they do the same thing. Oh, wow. And I said, what about grownups like me? She said, yep. But you get nine dolls and you do the same thing, but you burn the box with the dolls. Therefore, you burn the problems. So what do you do? So the dolls are small or? Yeah, they're real small and they come in a little, a little uh, box, a wooden box. And uh-huh. it's uh, and you take them out of the box and you talk to them about the problems and put them back. And then and during the night, the dolls take care of the problems. But I love I, I keep, that. I keep thinking, wow, think about that. I mean, simple things to deal with some of the problems kids have. Yeah. And uh, another friend of mine said, look, have you heard of the ritual on seven knots? I said, no. Or in Spanish, we call it el rito de los siete nudos. He said, take a ribbon, a red ribbon, about a foot and a half. You tie a knot for, at the middle of that ribbon for the first problem. And you can pray if you want to. You think about your problem. You go two inches to the right, tie a second knot for the second problem. And then to the left and then to the right and then to the left until you get to the end. And then you tie both ends together. And you've got seven knots. You put them in a, con- in a container, a glass container, like a mason jar, or a peanut butter jar. You go to the backyard, you bury it, therefore you bury your problems. It's a very simple. He said, yeah. and then another friend of mine said, you know, when I was growing up, my dad was an alcoholic and he used to come home and he'd yell at my mom and push her around and he'd yell at us. And then there were times he would come home and he would go to the backyard and we would sneak behind him and we'd hide in the bushes and he would lie on the, on the ground on his stomach and he would take out his pocket knife and he would dig a hole on the earth. And then he would yell obscenities at that hole and then he would cover it over. And then he would come back to the house and he was sweet as ever. You know, he was getting rid of all that anger and yeah. all that. Well, people you know, keep it bottled up. You yeah, know? But, but think okay. about, about that. It doesn't cost any money. It's just no, simple things right. that people, people can be very creative to deal with problems. Yeah. So this is why I'm just amazed how creative our people are. Uh, they've been able to create these things because they can't afford to go to a psychiatrist or psychologist. Right. That, I love that. Yeah. And that, they they that, deal that with is, their own problems. Yeah. And, and that is such a great, thing to do because nowadays it's all oh just go to the psychologist oh you know and and kids don't want to do that well how much are you gonna if you're not insured how much are you gonna pay exactly a couple of hundred dollars an hour right right for a good psychologist i mean and, and nowadays like people are so overwhelmed you think okay going to that psychologist is that person uh, really going to help you, you know, is that person, you know, I had a, a, a patient come in and her, this is really interesting. She was, um, she was, she was young and she was like preteen age and, um, her father was moving away. Okay. And she 
said that she felt like her insides were hurting and like she felt like she was dying inside. And um, I'm very empathic and I could pick up her heart, her heartbreak. I mean, she she was like so broken hearted, you know, because her, her she had been very close to her father. Her parents didn't live together. Um, and her mom was there and I was like, whoa, I, and I just could feel this, this heartbreak and stuff. And I had told her, I go, well, why don't you write him like a love letter and tell him how you really feel, you know? And we also went over like the positives and the negatives of him moving away. And, um, and so I, I encouraged her just to keep a notebook and to also write her father this letter. And she had a choice of either burning it or, uh, you know, getting rid of it or just actually giving it to him. And I, I encouraged her, I go, I think you should just give it to him. So he knows how mm. he feel. I mean, the mother was feeling the heartbreak and I was feeling the heartbreak. I mean, but is he really able, you know, maybe if he reads your letter, he can also feel what you're feeling too. And it helps her to kind of get rid of that pain in a way, you know, and, and divulge it. And that's why storytelling is really good. Great sure. with that as well. Um, but I love the little doll thing. I love that idea. Well, I mean, you know, I have I, several I, I, worry dolls from Peru that yeah. I bought. I have a whole yeah. bag full still. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, again, I'm amazed how, how, how creative people can be to deal with their problems. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's just incredible. Uh, oh, the ribbon, I mean, doesn't cost yeah, anything. Yeah, love that. Uh, or just digging a hole and, and yelling at <laughs> In the ground and yelling at and it. And then covering it's it. So that cool. you leave it. Where did they learn that? That's I know. It's amazing. Yeah. So I, I actually want to talk about Dia de los Muertos, sure. which is, which is uh, uh, I love, 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 um, that time of the year, you know, uh, for us, it's right after Halloween. Uh, what is it? November 1st and 2nd, correct? October 31st, um, November 1st and 2nd. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it's great, uh, growing up here in Los Angeles, like, um, I've attended many events. They had an event in downtown a few years ago where, uh, they had many, um, altars in, uh, one of the parks. It was super cool. Uh, and then last year I happened to be in Boyle Heights and several of the people, because, uh, it was still the pandemic, they had altars outside of their homes. Like, I, I was just like, wow, this is so neat. You know, I love that. And I, I absolutely love that tradition. So let's talk a little bit about it. Well, we have a module on Dia de los Muertos and, and healing grief. Some people don't grieve as like they want to. But when they celebrate Dia de los Muertos, it gives them a chance to grieve and to remember their loved ones. And it's uh, Dia de los Muertos has made a revival, not only in Mexico, and I've been to uh, Dia de los Muertos in Morelia, Michoacan, and have been at the cemetery outside of Mexico City uh, celebrating Dia de los Muertos and have been just amazed how how important it's been in Mexico and how important it is in the U.S. now. Uh, there's parades now, I mean, in the major yeah. cities, in most major cities where you have large Latino populations. And um, the, the idea goes back to the Aztecs way back. I mean, that, that believed in um, 13 skies and nine hills. And, uh, but they believed that the, their loved ones would come home for three days. They'd be with them for 72 hours. 
And that's the time they would celebrate and remember the loved ones that passed on. Well, that concept has changed somewhat with the Spaniards arriving and the Catholic Church, um, and now they've added religion to to the celebration, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And uh, and their altars where they have photos of of the loved ones and and food that they liked, um, right? Or their vices. That's the, the one vices, I love. <laughs> uh, cigars, cigarettes, or or yeah. a bottle of tequila. Yeah, so I was good. at the I cemetery. The I said I mentioned I was at the cemetery with a, a lady uh, that was um, there all night, and this was like three o'clock in the morning, and. And I said, why do you have your cigarettes? Said, and bottle of tequila. I said, well, my, my husband, my late husband smoked and, and had tequila. Now I'm, you know, I, I miss him so much that I'm taking a drink of tequila and I'm right. smoking a cigarette. And uh, uh, and then there were mariachis at the cemetery. People were dancing. And, they, you know, you, you, you remember the good times of your loved ones. Uh, it's, it's making a, a comeback, uh, like I said before. And that's wonderful because people are now grieving, but they're remembering their loved ones. And you don't you don't forget because every year they'll be with you for 72 hours. So you're able to enjoy them. You have marigolds to light the right. way down and they don't get lost. They'll see the marigolds that are bright. And uh, so um, uh, it's a wonderful celebration. Uh, you know, it's changed and that's okay. We all change with times. Uh, but um, it's a it's a good time of the year, and and I I love to see it celebrated at, uh, at all over this country, mm-hmm. uh, like like the mascals are making a comeback also yes. not only not only in, those are sweat lodges not only in Mexico but also here in the in the U S. We have several temascals in Albuquerque now. And in one place, La Cola Placita, Albino Garcia, a good friend of mine, has built two temascals, a Native American temascal because he works with urban natives there, and then a Mexican temascal, a little bit different, different philosophies, but he's got two temascals, and you have a choice to go into the Native temascal or the Mexican temascal. Huh. And, um, and so it's, it's, it's wonderful. There's a lot of things that happen in a sweat lodge so the, very the sweat lodges are really, really cool. I mean, I've not been to a sweat lodge. I mean, I, I used to um, mm-hmm. really love doing the, um, which just your typical uh, steam room or sauna at the gym, which I, I used to uh-huh. love, love, love. Uh, and I felt it really helped me, you know, because you even get rid of stuff there. But the sweat lodges, talk a little bit about those because those are so interesting because it, it, I mean, you kind of in a way, go into your uh, hypnotic trance. Um, and then you kind of see your inner demons in a way yeah. or, or your shadow. So let's talk a little bit about that. Well, the, the, the Mexican sweat lodge called the Mascal is a permanent structure. It looks like an igloo and it has okay. a small door and you go into it and, and, and it usually will accommodate anywhere between 10 to 20 people, no more than 20. Nowadays, some of them have benches for people that have problems with their knees. You can sit on the mm-hmm. bench. Most of them don't have a bench. You sit on the ground or you sit on the concrete. And it's dark. And so then there's chance. There's a, a, a leader, a Temazcal leader, that leads the ceremonies, uh, the chance. And then you have a chance to talk about whatever. It's all dark. You can cry. You can yell. You can scream. Um, whatever makes you feel better. Uh, so, uh, and there's a, a fire in the, in the opposite the door at the end, 
uh, and they have lava rocks and you the fire creates a steam and you pour water so you have a steam bath so um, you're 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 perspiring all your toxins and uh, it's very very therapeutic both mentally and physically uh, you get out of the temascal after about 30 40 50 minutes or so and many times you get a massage and you can nice. sleep and you can you know it's just so relaxing That's amazing. Uh, and so therapeutic yeah. Um, I've been to both the native Temazcal. The Mexican Temazcal is feminine. It's uh, like you're going into the womb of Mother Earth. I love that. And and the native Temazcal is more masculine. It's a stronger Temazcal. And um, so I've been to both of them, and uh, I enjoy both of them. And uh, but it's it it, it it it's incredible. And now I've seen some of the mascals in Mexico um, that are part of a, of a spa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit different, but it's okay. <laughs> you pay more than you would at a community mascal. In Oaxaca, many homes used to have mascals attached to their homes. Wow. You would ha- you that. would birth in a mascal, have your baby. What a wonderful place to, oh to have God, a baby. Nice and yeah. warm. You stay there like for 40 days or so. You would eat in the mascal. Uh, you'd have baptism in Temazcal, confirmations, weddings that would be part of the Temazcal. So the, the whole year was centered around this Temazcal. That's it's so changed cool. somewhat. You still find some Temazcals attached to homes, but not as much. You know, things change. Yeah. But but uh, it is making a comeback uh, all over Mexico and, and also in this country. We've had Mexicanos come here and build the Temazcals and, yeah. and show us how to run the Temazcals. Yeah, that just sounds amazing. Yeah. I kind of want to go back to Dia de los Muertos just for a second because sure. it has gotten commercialized too. Yeah. Uh, with with yeah. Um, the whole Disney. I did love the Coco movie for Disney. You know, um, I, I thought yeah. it was it was pretty fun. Um, and uh, until I worked at <laughs> I worked at a federally qualified clinic and they played it like three times a day, every day. And I was just like, OK, I'm, I'm done with Coco. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but then even now for Halloween, we see a lot of um, the Dia de los Muertos products where about 10 years ago, not so much, you know, but now it's like all over the place. And, um, you know, uh, before, if you showed up at a party and you were, uh, you know, Frida or Dia de los Muertos or whatever, you were original. Like I dressed up as Frida, um, I think back in 2010, 2011. Mm at the West Hollywood um, Halloween parade, which was very large at the time. And I was like a celebrity and I was just like, I didn't even have a costume. I just had the stuff and I threw it together. Mm. And I was just walking down the street with a fake cigarette, you know, and kind of uh, feeling the Frida. And people were like, Frida, Frida. people were coming up to me. It was just, it was like, I was a celebrity. It was pretty awesome. But now everybody dresses like that. So it's like not unique. Yeah. Yeah. you're right, though. It's, it's some of it is commercialized, but that's okay because you know, people have changed, and and yeah. you know, even in Mexico, it's somewhat commercialized. Uh, Dia los Muertos in Mexico City, you've got at the Zocalo, you have hundreds of altars, and they have parades, and but that's all right because people are, you know, I think the concept is there. It's remembering your your loved ones that have passed yeah. away. And uh, in some of your villages, it's still the traditional way of celebrating Dia de los Muertos. Uh, people 
turn their garage into a, an altar for their loved yeah, ones. So awesome. And, and so they remember their loved ones and they talk about them there. So you're never really forgotten. And, that, right. and that's the whole idea that you're remembering your loved ones once a year and you have them with you for 72 hours that you're, that you're enjoying their company. And then, then they'll go home and, um, you know, life goes on. But I think that's what's wonderful about the Los Muertos that you're, you're celebrating uh, the life that that person had and the good times that you had with your loved one that passed on. And even your pets are celebrated now. And that's great. Yeah, you, I think you, that's you have great. a dog that was part of the family that passed away. You celebrate their, their, their contributions that made you feel good or a cat or a dog or right. any other pet. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Well, this has been such a fun conversation, Cheo. And uh, where can people find more about you? I will have your links on the yeah. show notes. I, I put my email on the link. And if they're interested in the summer course, uh, we offer it to the community through continuing education also, uh, in addition to the credit courses, uh, so they can come here for when when COVID is over and we're face to face and I would love to invite them to our course. Uh, yes, I would love to come it's down. It's usually in July and we'll have some wonderful healers here and, and some hands-on workshops in the afternoon. So it's half a day uh, lectures and presentations and then the other half a day uh, hands-on and the evening we go to Temascals. We have oh, choices of two or three good Temascals. And then we have a health fair, traditional health fair and they can have some some work done on them, done on them. And then uh, we, we also offer four courses through Coursera that are free. They'll try to sell your certificate for $49, but if you don't want to pay the $49, just audit the course and then they won't bother you. Oh, it's, cool. it, it's not the university, it's a, it's, it's a Coursera platform. We work together with them. And, and now we're going to offer the course totally in Spanish. In, oh, I love beginning that. in December. So, so we have great. four courses. One of them deals with the body, the other one with the soul, the energy, and then the other one with medicinal plants. And the fourth one, global perspectives, where we have Afro-Cuban, Afro-Puerto Rican, um, um, uh, Peruvian, and Native American, and Mayan. So those, that's the global perspectives of, uh, of, uh, of the courses. So four courses with the wonderful videos that we've done in our, in our studios here with Curanderos. So you actually will, 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 will see the curanderos working. Love it. Thank you so much, Cheo. And thank you for listening, everyone. Till next time on Nurses and Hypochondriacs. Bye-bye. Adios. Thanks for listening to our Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. We love your support and we love our listeners. If you have some spare change, go ahead and throw some to us on our Venmo at Nurses and Hypochon. Also, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. And if you'd like to be a guest, go ahead and send us an email at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com. <laughs>